0: Thank you, Barry. Thank you, parents. Lo- love having your kids up here. And I think the elders will be holding a special meeting to make sure our youth ministers knows how to sing the books of the Bible. <laughs> All right, I'm just kidding. Uh, last week, as Barry was leading worship, uh, he said something interesting to me. Uh, on Monday, he said he said it was, he was watching y'all sing and worship and Anna was going around taking videos. Uh, he noticed some people smiling when the video was on them, and they've never smiled in worship before. And and so this week, she wasn't really doing anything. We just asked her to decoy it week after week. No, not really. She was actually taking pictures, but I just wanted to say that and uh, remind you she's going around, so please smile, and you might show up on our website. But anyway, so glad y'all are here today. You know, if you log on to... Uh, Any website, but particularly if you log on to Amazon and you search for something simple like like toothbrush you're gonna be hit with 20,000 different options from three packs to one packs to 12 packs from electric to manual There's all kinds of options out there We have options all over our world. If you have a Netflix account you search movies boom 3,000 different movies to choose from for your entertainment even this morning You were hit with not near as many options, but there's options, right? You could come up here, you could watch online, you could watch A Better Preacher somewhere else, which is not hard to find. You could do all kinds of things. We love choice, don't we? We're a people of option. In fact, the freedom to make our own decisions and choose what we want is probably one of the pillars of Western civilization. But you gotta wonder, Have you ever felt like there's too many options? Sonic, if you go to a Sonic, there is 1.03 million different drink combinations you can get at a Sonic. I would consider maybe three of them actually good. (laughs) Cherry limeade, that's all you need, right? If you go to a Starbucks, Brown Bug Roasters is better. If you go to a Starbucks you have 87,000 different coffee options to choose from. Now all of us, myself included, we love to, and we tend to, want to have as many options as possible. It probably, the idea of American options explains the popularity of the Cheesecake Factory, whose menu reads like a John Grisham novel, right? (laughs) And by the way, cheesecake people, It's good for one thing, cheesecake. Everything else there is disgusting, Microwave city. Anyway, all right. But that's just, but enough about that on choices about our interaction with capitalism. Choices are everywhere, right? Choices are part of what we do every day. Our interactions with our kids, what we sign them up for, how long I'm gonna stay at work, what I do with my time in the evenings, how I spend my time in the mornings, what I'm going to do In the plethora of options that are in front of me on Saturdays and Sundays. How much time do I spend plopped down in front of the TV? Or how much time do I spend zoned out on my phone? But all of us know this, right? When you start to think about all those options, I think we can all admit, whether we want to or not, that there is a limit on how much those options are good for us. All these options... And all the ease of those options are not neutral in our life. In fact, social scientists now are starting to discover adverse health conditions brought on by too many options given to people. It's something they're calling the paradox of choice. It's a state of being paralyzed with anxiety or feeling the weight of stress in the face of so much to choose from. The result is, of the paradox of choice is resulting in hypertension and anxiety and more. You've probably heard of FOMO, the fear of missing out on an option. But now we're living in a world, and I don't know when it came from, but now we're living in a world of the fear of having too many things to choose from. Doesn't have as cool of an acronym, but exists. And so this morning, what we're going to do is I want us to explore our option-filled lives, these full and busy lives that we've all chosen and what they have to do on a more important note with our relationship with God. The truth is that we live busy and overstimulated lives. I can see some of you on your phones right now, teenagers, right? right. These overstimulated lives are making us not just people with in en- elevated anxiety but it's a world that we've created where we bow down to the altar of option to the god of options and maybe slowly and even imperceptibly what that has done to us has actually robbed us of our deepest purpose and passions i put something on the screen here that's that's pretty straightforward but i I, I've, i've run it by a few people to think it's true to see if it's true and they've all said it is I think this describes our culture. We are a people committed to everything and dedicated to nothing. Committed to everything, but yet dedicated to nothing. Yeah, I'm busy all the time. But what have I done with my life? And if you pause for a moment and do a little self-reflection, introspection, I think you feel this in your soul. We're all living out stories that we're giving ourselves everything to do while at the same time accomplishing nothing of value and worth. So what I want to do this morning is is take us to a surprising answer of what to do with our world. You can see up here on the stage there's a bunch of different options. Tried to summarize in 10 different uh, aspects of our faith and our lives what we do and where we give our time. But I want to take these 10 and give us a surprising answer somewhere you may not expect of how we can all become more connected and unified to passion and purpose. Let's pray about it this morning. If you want to grab a hand, Let's do that. And I want to pray. I want to pray specifically for our summer sports camp that's just around the corner as well this morning. God, I pray that you will help me watch my tone because I am not an expert, nor am I a person who has got this figured out. God, I want to take the posture as as not just teacher but student today to learn from your text, to learn from your word as I ask that you do that with all of us. God, help us to be honest, most of all, just with ourselves today, to take a little look in the mirror, to realize that a lot of us are running from one thing to the next, and we we have gotten caught up in, in the craziness of this world, and in the midst of that, we've gotten ourselves tied and pledged and connected to so many different things that we really have lost what everything is about, what there is one thing that we are to do. And so, Father, just draw us back. God, we pray specifically this morning for our summer sports camp. We pray that you'll draw children to you in a powerful and amazing way. And God, we offer these things in your name and by the power and name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you have your, your Bible, we're going to be in Acts 17 or you can follow along on Bulletin or on the app. Um, Acts 17 is a, a really great passage. Paul's in Athens. He's standing in front of a bunch of philosophers, very educated men. And and most of them, probably their background is they're either deeply pagan or they're agnostic. But they have this wide belief in the spiritual realm, and the God's little g of the world. These are atheist, agnostic, pagan philosophers. And what he tries to reveal to them is there is an unknown God. You don't even have an altar to this God who is actually the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords. And he says in Acts 17, verse 28, he says this. He says, for in him, this God, his God capital G Elohim Yahweh in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said it we are his offspring now just real quick Paul here quotes from a Cretan Isle of Crete a Cretan poet and philosopher named Epimenides Epimenides is actually the one who came up with this beautiful poetic phrase in him He was talking about Logos, the creator of all things. They didn't really have a name. In him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. And wouldn't you love for somebody in your life to say you live that way? Here's what I mean. Wouldn't you love for somebody to describe you and say, oh, fill in the blank with your name, she lives and moves and has her being in the Lord. When somebody around town describes you, wouldn't it be incredible for them to go, well, one, I don't know them very well, but the one thing I know them is they are close enough to the Lord that it seems that every choice they make honors God. would love that. But the truth is, I don't have that reputation. Or at least I don't feel like it, Right? And I don't know if you do either. Maybe you do. I've met people where automatically my first response to their presence has been, that guy follows Jesus. That lady is in love with the Lord. And that's what Paul is trying to say, is he's trying to say to these ancient philosophers, there is somebody that you can even move and live in and have your being, and it can completely change your life. But for most of us, probably we don't feel like that's who we are. Most days we're just trying to survive. Most days we're running from task and obligation to obligation, event to event, task to task. And then at the end of the day, you get in bed and you finally rest and you might say, what did I do today? Or maybe more accurately, you might go to bed and you go, how am I possibly going to do all that again tomorrow? Amen? You feel that, right? Are you with me on that? And, of course, I've illustrated that with these cinder blocks up here this morning. See, these cinder blocks, none of them are evil. One of them is good. That's Jesus. I think he's right down here, right? But they're all neutral. But yet they represent the things that we tie ourselves to, pledges and commitments that we make. This one can be neutral. It can be good. It's church. Or it can be really bad. Church isn't just always good. Church can be bad when it's full of people who are uncommitted to the things that they should be committed to. But these things represent how we tie ourselves. as heavy weights to gotta watch my show or gotta be at work, right? Gotta be at work. Gotta spend as much time as I can there, right? Look like Rip was really interested in that one, right? we got to be there but these things are the things that we inadvertently or purposely tie ourselves to we make commitments to them we make pledges to them and we say we've got to be a part of this or that but the problem is isn't that they're bad i want you to think about it this way the problem is is that they're scattered that they're separate that what these things represent, or how most of us live our lives, is we're just compartmentalized. I'll take time for church now, but God gets that, and then the rest of the day, I'm going to deal with this, or no, i got to get and go to work, or i got to deal with this or that, or this commitment, right? They're scattered. They're not wrong, they're just scattered. We inadvertently pledge ourselves to the different compartments. We run from one to the other. Even some of us go so far that we chain ourselves to some and say, there's no way I'm giving this up. We spend time, some with very little time, some with very much time. But if we're really honest, and I hope we are, we end up not fulfilling our purpose and the promises that God has for us. We end up with emptiness because our lives are just scattered. And we end up living a life full of lesser pursuits. Good ones, but not better. Better ones, but definitely not best. So I want you to ask yourself, and it's on the screen this morning, Just as we kind of dig into this, and we're going to go somewhere positive with this because there is a great answer to all this. But I want to just get that tension in us because we know this is reality. No doubt this is the reality of our 21st century existence. But just for your own self, and if you can see these things up here, we've got money, we've got family, we've got time, we've got phone, we've got entertainment. Just ask yourself, on any given day, which of these tasks or influences Which of these things have influenced my life the most in the past month or week? The way I think, the things I say, the actions that I take. Why don't you just sit with that for a minute? Which of these got the most? Man, I don't want to admit this, but The one I would have to probably tie myself to is not the one I'd want to admit to the whole church. Because I can even work at a church and just do it because I have to. Not because I'm called to. So we end up doing this. And I don't know what your answer is or which one you'd pick out or which two but we're divided and we're pledged and we're pulled by commitments and we're stuck. And in life, we end up serving our options instead of our options serving God. And the real danger in that is this, is that for many of us, faith is just an aspect of our life, not something that draws together every part of our life. It's just a commitment I make to stand on for a few moments and say, look, I'm, I'm a Christian, but then I'm scattered the rest of my week. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And I want, I want to point us to an unlikely answer, maybe an unlikely place, because we may say, well, we just need to reprioritize, or we need to center our life on Christ, or we need to read a good book on that, and maybe all that's true, but I want to just get us back to where following Jesus began. And it's in First Peter chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Now, there's context here. And Peter says this, and we're going to work on the context just a little bit, but we're really just going to work on how Peter describes the start and the ongoing impact of our faith and what our baptisms and living into our baptisms has done. So Peter says this, he says, and this water, now he's talking about Noah's water in the context, you can read around it. We're not going to have that on the screen. He's talking about the water of the flood symbolizes baptism. And so they're thinking about Noah's water. And then he goes, remember your baptism. And this baptism that you took part of now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. So, in context, here's what Peter's saying. He's appealing to his church family, and his church family is, is what we would consider. He calls them exiles. They're living in, they're not foreigners because they don't have citizenship. They're foreigners because they're citizens of heaven living in a difficult world. First Peter is a great passage for modern day America. We are exiles not looking like the rest of our world, but they're going through difficult times. And his whole message of First Peter is hold on and remember who you are, right? He reminds them then of Noah, who through difficult times, held the faith and was saved through water. And then he goes, now you guys have been saved through water because of the resurrected Lord and Savior. But what he's really leaning into, and we're gonna do a little work on this, but so stick with me for the next three to five minutes. Because this will hopefully, you'll go, okay. He's saying to them, I want you to remember what your baptism did, but also what your baptism continues to do. Water from Noah was symbolic, but the water you went through was more than just a symbol. It was more than just a ritual bath. It wasn't just a washing of dirt off your body. It was so much more, Peter says. In fact, and this is what we need to put in our minds, if we were to literally read this text without the English helping us a little bit, how, Paul, how Peter puts this is he says, this water symbolizes your baptizing, or baptizing that now continues to save you. In other words, we often think of our baptism as, well, I got saved or I was baptized in past tense. That is not how Peter puts it here. He says, you are now living in your baptism. We don't even have an English language that really can capture that well. That's the best I can do. That's why he says this baptism now saves you. It's an ongoing, present tense reality that I got in the water and I was risen out of the water in the resurrection of Jesus, but I just kept following Jesus. I kept in that thread. uh, thread. I kept in that vein. I kept in that river. I kept in that stream of the salvation of Jesus. This baptism that saves you, this ongoing reality. And then he uses two words. He goes, your baptism was a pledge Of a good conscience. Couple word couple thoughts just on that first. First of all, pledge. More than just a way to get rid of dust. Pledge, that was a terrible joke. (laughs) Such a dad joke. All right. A pledge is not a word we use a lot. You might make a pledge to charity, pledge to a flag. Politicians pledge to do all sorts of things, right? We might take a pledge, we might give a pledge. And that, that helps us with this word a little bit. But really what Paul, what, I keep calling him Paul because I've been teaching Paul so much. Peter, what Peter is getting at is this, is in Greek, in his language here, the word means an appeal and a promise. But most powerfully, he is saying your pledge is a craving and a desire. It's a craving. It's something that draws you. You see the power of that? Your baptism now saves you by a desire to keep in that stream, to go that direction. It's about what we just asked the kids. Another word you could say here is your baptism was a pledge of your allegiance. Your baptism is a pledge and a desire of your craving and allegiance to head one direction. And then he qualifies it. Well, it's a pledge to what, Peter? And he goes, well, it's a a pledge of a clear conscience. Now, that sounds weird, right? Because we think of conscience in a lot of different ways. It first of all makes me think of that old joke. Why don't politicians listen, listen to their conscience? Well, because they don't take advice from complete strangers. Whatever. Thank you, the few that laughed. That was terrible. 0 for 2 up here today, if anybody's keeping score. All right. Now, here's what that means. For us, when we think of a good conscience, we think of angels on our shoulders, right? A good and bad conscience, or we think of that, listen to that little person inside of you. That's a very uh, Western mindset. What it really means is a pledge of a good conscience, really is not about just listening to something. It's about heeding the pull of something. It's about being drawn like a piece of metal to a strong magnet. That if I have a pledge, an allegiance of a good conscience, I'm no longer getting tied down. I'm getting pulled to an ultimate purpose. My life is all headed in one direction. Your baptism was that pledge of a good conscience it's a pledge of an allegiance towards the risen king who now reigns above all angels and authorities and powers and it is now what peter is saying it is your hope and the freedom for which you've called to have a purpose in life now let's make all this make sense this guys is what you did or what you will do someday when you put on christ in baptism. What you do in baptism is you go no longer am a person that's tied down and pledged to a lot of different options. What I'm now is I'm pledged and tied to one thing, tethered to a heavenly king. And all my being is being drawn towards him. So that I am being drawn into something. So that I am becoming somebody who takes on a different mindset and action so that I'm becoming a person who takes on different servant-like qualities, who serves and loves and gives of myself. I want to illustrate this for you. Hopefully y'all can see this. Even in the back, I think you guys can see this. But I want to illustrate it in three ways. Oh, I went backwards a lot there, didn't I? (laughs) Must have had my finger on the button. Uh, What our baptism has done is that it pulls us, first of all, not into a scatteredness, but it pulls us into wholeness instead of people that withhold. Now, let me talk about that for a second. How many of y'all, because you're so busy, you feel like I've got to withhold energy just so I have enough energy for the next day? Anybody out there, right? A lot of us, teachers, you just finished the school year. Have you felt that way for, right? Right. Every teacher I talked to Friday was like, I cried when my kids left, but I cried also tears of joy. Right. Sadness out of one one eye and joy out of the other. Yeah. I'm going to miss you, babies. Yes. Right. Right. We feel so busy that what we end up doing is we end up withholding ourselves and our time instead of living out of a wholeness. We are people who, because we're so scattered, don't know what to do with our energy. So what we do is we withhold and say, well, I can't do that because I'm already so committed over here, right? And usually, and I hate to say this, but the truth of it is, is the first thing to go is this bottom one, (laughs) right? (laughs) Thank you, Barry. (laughs) Church staff, it's easy to amen that, right? It's the first thing to go because... I'm so committed everywhere else. But what Peter's saying is your baptism is not pulling you towards a withholding spirit where you're tied, it's pulling you towards a whole spirit. Second thing he's mentioning here, I think what he's getting to, is that you're a person who should be connecting rather than dividing. That you're a person who is finding connections, even at your job. That, nothing wrong with having a job, Right? But as I have a job, it's about connection, not a place that God is somehow absent. Or maybe even with my phone. Ooh, that's a good one. It's not a place where I can just be my own person and make my own decisions and make a lot of mistakes by searching for things I shouldn't and looking for things I shouldn't. But even my phone is a place of connection. We talked about this Monday in our church staff meeting, and it has been blowing my mind ever since. I want you to imagine a church where this happens where this is the norm. And I hope I get this across right. I don't, I've been working on it all week to try to say it right. So uh, I, never, I didn't even put it in my notes because I couldn't get it out right. But I want us to imagine what would it look like to be such a connected church and such a people that were so connected to Jesus that when you missed a few weeks of church, what we call church, which really isn't church, right? <laughs> we don't get into that. Church is us, right? No matter where we go. But what would it look like for us to be a people who, when somebody's been gone for two or three weeks, the question isn't, where have you been? The question is now, because we're so connected to Jesus, is how did you serve the Lord when you weren't here? Think about the paradigm shift of that. See, we're so concerned with people meeting obligations, we forget that what the church is about is to make us whole and look like Jesus, so that the biggest idea of church shouldn't be, oh, you missed church. It should be, how were you being church when you weren't here? I would love to be part of a church like that. Wouldn't you? That we trust each other enough that when you're not here, we know you're living like Jesus. How cool would that be? That's gonna take a lot of work on some of us parts, right? You'd be like, I would love for people to start asking me that because I'm here, you know. <laughs> All of us need to be moving towards Jesus then. We need to be people who are connecting rather than dividing. We need to start putting things together. If anybody breaks a toe up here, it's going to be me, so you guys are safe, okay? We need to be people who are learning to take our image that we have in all parts of our life and start to connect them. But finally, and this is what it's getting at, is that we need to be people who are compelled that we become people, whether it's at school or job or with entertainment, we start to look at life as something that is moving us not away from the Lord, but it's moving us to the Lord. Even money, what we make, what we do with it. And being compelled is different than being pulled, isn't it? Somebody that is compelled is convicted. Somebody that is compelled is somebody that is going, I have a passion and a purpose for my life. And I am being drawn by that, like a magnet, a pledge of a good conscience to live a certain life. And guess what happens when we start to do that? None of these things are wrong. None of these things are bad. But then everything that we do starts to look like King Jesus we live a cross-shaped life we live a life that then starts to look out of our baptism like our baptism and the one who saved us through our baptism and we become a people who instead of living scattered everything we do starts to say that looks like jesus that church looks like Jesus. The things they watch look like Jesus. The way they spend their time looks like Jesus. The way they spend their money. The way they train kids to go to school. They, that, that Man, that Canadian Church of Christ sends a lot of Christ-centered kids to Canadian middle school, Baker, C- CHS, right? The way we look at our jobs and our phones, the way we have an image about ourselves, it all looks like Jesus. That's your baptism, guys. The question, though, is this. Will we live up to what our baptisms are already done? Will we live up to the vows we gave when we said, in our baptism, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. He's the only one that matters. So the encouragement this morning is to be cross-shaped for us to change the way we think, not from I'm this way and I'm this way, but that we are people who are connected and whole and compelled to act like Jesus. If you need anything this morning, we're here for you. Got our baptistry full. We'd love to see some people take this on. This is getting in touch with the cross and with the empty tomb. When you're baptized, you you somehow, because of the faith of Jesus and your faith in Jesus, you go in that water and you connect with his death and you come out. Not because it's magic water, but you come up and connect with his resurrection and you live a new life. A new life that says this is where life is. If you guys need anything this morning, we're here for you. Let's stand together.